welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. This is episode 44 and it's great to be back. Slightly different. We're back with a spring-summer season. I've got six fantastic guests lined up and we're going to look in depth at how we can emerge from the pandemic, use well-being, design a better way of doing things, a better way of working, a better way of living. And this first episode, episode 44 in the Chief Wellbeing Officer series is with Stephen De Souza, and a great way to start. You know, I've just finished the conversation with Stephen. My plan was always to come out on the bike for a ride over beautiful Barcelona as soon as I was finished. And it fits in perfectly with his last point on what we need most of all coming out of the pandemic. If there's one thing in my conversation with Stephen that really hit home as I was climbing up this mountain was reconnection. You know, reconnection with ourselves, reconnection with our learning journey, reconnection with well-being and how we can lead ourselves better and how we can think about even the connection with nature that we have around us. So Stephen is a really deep thinker. He's worked with leading organisations, leading corporate companies, leading academic institutions and he doesn't work per se in well-being, but a lot of what he talks about in this interview in terms of leadership, in terms of how we can you know, be better ourselves, how we can strive to be curious, strive to keep learning, go for breadth and depth of experience. I think we can all look at those aspects and those themes within the theme of well-being. So in terms of deepening our own understanding of well-being, this is a fantastic conversation with Stephen. It's great to be back and yeah, enjoy. And we'll see you very soon for the remaining five episodes in spring, summer for Chief Wellbeing Officer. Thanks again, bye-bye, ciao. So hello, welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast, Stephen. Where are you in the world today? What are you working on? So I'm in uh, London, Ealing, and I'm in the middle of a work day. My day is every day is different. So one morning we might be working with CEOs and uh, looking at something around the changing culture for the firm. And the, and the next day uh, it might be just coaching an individual or helping develop like a talent strategy for an organisation. So that diversity, I think, would be more reflective rather than uh, a BAU day for me currently. Yeah, keeping you nice and busy, I imagine. How How's your own personal journey been or, or personal and professional journey being the last couple of years during COVID? It's two things. One is the professional journey um, was quite distinct in that I was uh, living abroad and uh, in Romania, because I wanted to experience a, a different culture, a different environment to the norm. So I wanted to almost shake it up a little bit and ex- uh, have a bit sense of aliveness. I remember it was a silly Facebook meme that you often see where they show pieces of paper. So one said, your doctor has just told you you have six to live. Oh, but then what would you do? And then uh, what three things would you regret not having done in your life? And then, oh, by the way, it's a misdiagnosis. And one of the things I would regret is not having the opportunity to live abroad. I spent a few months uh, in Indonesia, but it was never uh, the experience of living a long term abroad. So I just booked a one way ticket to 
Bucharest, and I, I spent two years as as that as my home, just learning from a different culture that I really admire their entrepreneurship and the 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 nature of that country. Have you thought about how that experience has changed your approach to your profession? Has it brought any new layers into what you do now, or have done since you lived there? Um, it's made me think that you know when we're talking about always learning you know how easy it is to become out of touch and default to what i already know and how the sparks of creativity uh, often in other places and uh, in in another generation almost <laughs> hate to say it there's things we can contribute like i helped them for example in thinking about pricing and there was a games company and uh, they made games for corporations and they had great products, but no pricing strategy or no commercial strategy. So helping them think through this. But in terms of their inventiveness, I think there was this ability to learn from each other. But um, so I am uh, always struck by them as a challenge to my own uh, fixed mindset in a way. And yeah. how can I, how can I always be surprised? And um, yeah, and, I, and it gives me a lot of faith actually when we talk about people often almost dismissive of younger generations and uh, work shy always independent looking for only for meaning but I think there's a there's a huge energy and contribution and uh, innovation that I'm seeing and uh, for me it's a, it's a definitely a challenge and a wake-up call how can I stay connected to that and how exactly. can I how can I support as well yeah yeah great points uh, you know, I first got to know you in the world of executive education, um, so as, as a teacher and then also as, a, as an author, and we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. Um, now you're a, a, a client partner and a consultant, and, and you've worn many hats o- over the years. Um, how would you describe yourself? And even in terms of, uh, you know, would you view yourself as a specialist or an, an expert or more as a generalist? What's your views on that? Yeah, I would say a generalist, uh, Stephen. But there's a there's a book uh, written called the Neo Generalist. I think you might know the the co-authors. Um, uh, Richard Martin is one of the co-authors. He's um, the editor for the last few books I've done. And uh, the idea here is that you know the world. Yes, we need specialists, but to be effective, we need to be able to converge ideas and uh, be able to span boundaries across different disciplines. So an expert in in my way, I've gone through a career transition from originally training as a priest to working in a startup, to being a hotel manager, to working in a charity, to heading diversity in the retail bank, the investment bank, and then all sorts of uh, difference, and then working in uh, executive education, as you said, and FMCG, uh, and now in uh, management consulting. Very different sectors, but I seem to have developed an expertise in the sector I'm in, or in the t- in the topic I'm in, that being able to shift across as a generalist, so it's not uh, limited. So the idea he- here is it's more a sense of, uh, I think it's... Uh, Latin, she called it being the serial expert when she wrote a book for her children and she wanted to describe the future of careers. She said it's not about uh, 
meaning that or being a journalist where you don't have any expertise, but it's about being an expert and then in a few years moving and being an expert in something else and then moving and being something an expert in something else. So you're able to take deep domain expertise. In my case, it was in the field of leadership or organizational development, similar to you, Steve. And then how do you build that in another sector? How do you cross it to another area? And the way I've tried to do is broadening within my field. So as training, for example, as a psychotherapist, not uh, being a psychotherapist, it wasn't my, my intention, but I did three years training to understand what are those skills needed and what are, what is it like and in my own self that will be useful uh, in service of my uh, clients or who I work with. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I think, and and you're you're right. I do know the the co-authors on that. Kenneth Mickelson actually um, yes. I interviewed him on a previous episode of Chief Wellbeing Officer a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, and and coming from a design thinking background myself, which in essence mm-hmm. is is kind of archetypal generalist area of study, and and I've long been convinced of the value of that, but still trying to still attain that that rigor and depth as you go through. And I think even compared to some of your, your previous comments b- before touching on this theme, it, it very much fits uh, this approach with that, with that learning journey, you know, staying humble, being curious, being inspired by the next generation, right? And then you add that to the store of the different positions that, that, that you fill during that journey and, and it enriches those. And whether you call that a teacher or whatever, right? How do, how do you do that? How do you stay curious and how do you stay uh, fresh in your thinking? You know, I get, you know, I think it's trying to listen to different perspectives. And as you talked about not having that fixed mindset, so just asking even the same question to so many different people and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, from all different areas, generationally, um, geographically, culturally, and, and and seeing what aligns, what doesn't align, and um, and I've always just been fascinated by trying to synthesize things which look so different at first glance, and saying, well, actually, what is the pattern here? And that motivates me to see if there is, and sometimes there isn't, and I just throw it out. But then <laughs> it inspires me to keep going forward and seeing if there is a way to connect the dots. That, that's what I've tried to do um, over the years, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think this fits great with with your fantastic trilogy, not knowing, and uh, you know I, I I've used one I used the, the the cover of your book in one of my sessions over the years, and 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 I loved it, and it was about talking to leaders about um, the importance of humility, and 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 in talking like the end of expertise, you don't always have the answer. And I love the little phrase that you had in not knowing, which was about, you know, let's find out together. We don't know the answers. And me as a leader, I can pretend that I have the answer, but like, you know, I, I can create that safe space. I can be vulnerable and say, look, well, I'm an orchestrator. Let's find out together. So not knowing came out 2014, right? Mm. And then it was not doing 2018 and then yeah. not being just earlier this year or last year. Yeah, uh, 2021, right? yes, yeah. exactly. Last uh, last quarter of 2021. 
Yeah. So, so talk me through that. Was that planned, the trilogy, or did that just emerge as after you did not knowing? And 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 how did that start? I'm just interested in this yeah, whole series. I, I think it started from my own uh, relationship with the, with the unknown, which was terrible. You know? So mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember always being my therapist saying, "Stephen, you're always uh, living in polarity. Should I do this or should I do this?" And that tension between the two. So I had a very difficult relationship with the unknown and and one time I had a colleague and his name's Randy I think he, he wrote a book called Relax it's only uncertainty and uh, Randy uh, made a distinction he said normally uh, when people talk about uns- the unknown they always conflate it with uncertainty but uncertainty is only one feeling in response to the unknown So if you think about uh, children at Christmas or Eid or uh, another another celebration of some kind, the present might be wrapped. Now, the child doesn't feel uncertain. They feel curious. They feel excited. They feel full of wonder. They might even sneak and try and find something. (laughs) But they, they certainly don't feel uncertain. And so what I became curious about was those who relate to the unknown, not as a, a place of uncertainty, but as a space of opportunity. So together with my co-author, Diana Renner, I met her on an executive leadership program. We were both participants. Uh, we interviewed people who, who, people like artists, adventurous scientists, explorers, entrepreneurs, who did view the unknown as a space of opportunity. And that became really the the first book, not knowing. And the the key thing in this book, the message for the viewers or listeners is, it wasn't about adding uh, new skills to your toolkit, as it were. It was more around taking things away. So this unlearning and uh, that we often hear in 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 our field, Steve. We used uh, the it, the language of uh, the poet Keats. And he wrote a, a letter to his brothers, George and Thomas, which he described this phrase called negative capability. He was comparing Shakespeare uh, to Coleridge. One he felt was innovative and creative and life, and one he felt was more descriptive, uh, Coleridge. But the negative capability described as the ability to be with mystery, uncertainty and doubt without irritable reaching after fact and reason. And from this, we we made really four uh, four four themes emerged, uh, and that enabled leaders to be more comfortable in in the unknown and to create opportunity. A specific example is uh, empty your cup. You've heard the phrase often, this idea of the beginner's mind, but the use of it in business is quite profound. So you can look at microcredit or microfinance, and they all grew exponentially in areas let's say Africa or India, in these cases, where there was no existing path dependencies. They didn't need to do the same learning curve as others who had gone through other forms of uh, communication or banking. The same with the founder of the Grameen Bank, Mohamed Yunus. When he said he started his bank, he said he looked at what conventional banks did and he did the opposite. They went to the men, he went to the women, they went to the rich, he went to the poor. They were owned by those who he said he could do these things because he now, I never pretend that we're the, the tabula rasa. So I get executives to recognize, you know, for example, what they do know, but they also make space for what they don't know. And there's different ways to practice that. One is just by, for example, asking more questions or staying with questions longer. 
So at school, if a child asks, you know, two or three questions, the teacher's really suspicious, you know, that child's got ADD or attention deficit, they need to be put on some medication. And uh, as adults, we we rarely ask two or three questions about something. You know, it's, it's seen as uh, it's seen as obnoxious, or there. But actually, this is a way to go deeper, a way to show our curiosity and our aliveness. So the the book is giving uh, almost like a shifting the mindset or the emphasis on this idea that we need to have the knowledge, as you said, and the reality in, in a world that we have, you know, millions of people acting predictably and unpredictably, irrationally and irrationally. There's no way that we can have all the answers. Not doing, not being. Um... What was the what was the change there um, briefly, right. and then if there was a fourth, what would it be? When we wrote the book, we thought, okay, there's knowing, but there's a model of leadership, which is basically the three components in what leaders know, do, and be. So att- attending to knowing is is a, is vital and foundational, but then there's doing. And then there's being. So that's what set uh, Deanna and I on that path to write not doing, which was really an antidote to the constant pressure to be in action, to be pushing, to be striving, to be pulling. And instead of pushing and pulling, what did it mean to work with the system? What did it mean to flow? What did it mean to explore other ways such as pausing, for example, or active surrender rather than passive surrender? So it was a more an exploration. And I think that was super relevant because it wasn't yet the COVID pandemic, but there was a, pand- a pandemic almost of exhaustion. Yeah. And it's it's still become endemic, I think, in 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 modern life for many people, and always feeling exhausted. And what is the the way out of this? And uh, at least uh, a way that we can support ourselves feeling like this. So this is what uh, not doing it uh, explored, and it was predominantly influenced by Taoist concept of Wu Wei, uh, which stands for effortless action. What does it mean? And so that's the inquiry really that we explored. And the last book, not being to complete the trilogy, I worked with a, a, another young co-author called Kuyin Bui. I hadn't met him in person, but I just seen some of his posts on Facebook. And I saw they were very like original and uh, thoughtful and a young man in his 20s, never written a book before. And uh, so I collaborated with him to write Not Being. And this really is at the heart of uh, all change and transformation. And I think it's the question of identity. So it's who do we say we are or uh, who do we conceive ourselves to be? And rather than atomized individuals, we're always trying to protect, defend, extend how do we recognize our identity is fundamentally entangled with each other and with the natural world? So, you know, for example, I interviewed a scientist called Tom Oliver, who's an ecologist. Uh, he written a book called The Self-Delusion. That literally he'll talk at the microscopic uh, level how most of our cells are non-human, that we have like 33 billion cells of bacteria yeah. and more than human cells. And just the exchange of atoms with other elements of the universe continually, but the 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 science is is strong. And uh, but the book looks at these questions when you know uh, what does it, how does it impact your life, and what happens when your story 
falls apart, you know, in terms of well-being. You, you may be having this situation where it's life is normal and then it's punctured by COVID or it's punctured by another event uh, and our story falls apart. And I think some of those things that you mentioned in not being, it fits perfectly with my next question on the link with well-being. So for many years now, and certainly within this show, the main objective is to be is to look at well-being and to try and elevate that as a more strategic concern. So not something that is very soft and very much at the margins of how we work. And I think a lot of your work, even though, you know, maybe you don't call it well-being, I think it fits with some of the things that I've looked at over the years in terms of even the, you know, that not knowing example within some of the leadership training that I did, the importance of humility, um, beginner's mindset um, uh, and, and, and things like that. Have you thought about well-being yourself? I don't know, maybe even personally through, you know, COVID years, but specifically in terms of your your career and the work that you do with executives and leaders, what's some of your views on well-being? Just keeping that nice and open and then maybe, maybe we zoom in a little bit. Yeah, I was being challenged like uh, working you know long hours i've often uh, let my health suffer and you know often developed bad practices or habits that haven't supported uh, well-being so for example not actively exercising or nutrition not being as strong as it could be or as healthy as it could be so one of the ideas recently is I heard somebody saying, if you can't be a CEO or leader of your company, if you you can't even be the CEO of your own well-being and the leader of your own well-being. And it really struck me as true. You know, if I can't prioritize my own health and my own body that I inhabit and I bring with me and it literally allows me to function, then I'm not going to be effective to any any other person or in, in my work. So a shift in my mentality over the, the last few years, and particularly emphasised, I think, by COVID, is what I do to become much more conscious of my own energy, my own health and well-being. And for me, that meant prioritising exercise. It means prioritising walking daily. It means prioritising just these micro habits, really, that keep me, keep me well. The second part is uh, recognising that I don't need to put off uh, relaxation to a future date. So we always have this idea, I'll relax when I'm on, you know, weekend break. Or, And I remember saying that to my uh, therapist once that I was exhausted. And he said to me, why don't you take a holiday now? And I said, what? Um, I can't. It's not till then. So just put your hands behind your head, stretch your legs out. I invite the listeners to do this as well and uh, who are watching the recording. And just take a deep breath and a sigh. And let out, yeah, just allow yourself to have almost like a 30-second vacation. On the beach. That's not long, but it allows your body to relax. It allows yourself just to give yourself, taking away the tenseness in your body where you may be holding yourself, maybe shoulders arced over, uh, above the keyboard. Nice. And just allows you just a few minutes of rest. Obviously, some people do stretching, some people do other activities, but... The point is that it's not something that well-being is something that we can delay into the future, but it's how might we experiment with their way of doing that now. Absolutely. And, and the third part is this whole uh, reframe around uh, exhaustion and, and meaning and work. 
So I, I don't know, you you probably know, Steve, who, who said the quote, but the, the cure for exhaustion is not rest, it's wholeheartedness. And when I heard that for the first time, I thought, wow, because I thought when I'm wholehearted, when I'm fully engaged, don't feel exhausted. I feel uh, quite energized and quite, uh, so it's how do I, when I'm noticing my exhaustion, uh, I question, am I feeling divided? Am I being wholehearted? Am I really present? Or am I, you know, is my mind elsewhere? How might I bring my uh, my values in conflict? How might I bring more wholeheartedness to where I am now, who I'm with? Yeah. And that takes away this sense of exhaustion. And so those are the, the three things I, I would offer uh, yeah. listeners. The, the whole idea behind rebooting this podcast now is that I feel that we're coming out of the tunnel of COVID. Are we going to reset sufficiently? Are we going to take advantage of the opportunity that we have in terms of the world of work? Or are we just going to copy and paste the broken, non-perfect system that we had before? Mm. Moving ahead now, and I hope that we are coming out, and we will continue with much societal disruption, that's in no doubt, I think. But I hope that you talk about being energised and, and wholehearted, and I hope that there's a lot of people around the world moving forward now with that real belief on, on starting afresh. What do we need? You know, what, what's the one thing that we need more than, than most to kind of move forward and, and design a better way of doing and a, a design a better way of being? What came into my head is something very practical, and that's just more time in nature. Mm. I'm conscious of uh, your plant there, Steve, bringing the natural world into the office, as it were. Uh, in front of me is like a lovely green tree that's full of uh, spring. And, uh, and I think there's something that we need right now, which is one, connection with uh, the natural environment, and two, almost like the sense of renewal and uh, regeneration that it gives. And three, the sense of groundedness and uh, being in touch with our bodies, being in touch with our environment, being in touch with each other. And I think just spending, even if it's a few minutes a day out in the park or taking a walk or being in in as natural environment as you can find if you're in a city, but super, super helpful. And I think that's what we need. And for those three reasons I just gave, and I I think it's a starting point of uh, renewing our own bodies, our minds, our spirits, and allowing us to to uh, go forth. I think that's that's what I would say. Brilliant, surprising okay. answer. I didn't think <laughs> didn't think I would say that. So yeah, that's it. A final one to finish. I've been inspired. A friend, good friend of mine, a couple of years ago, um, talked about desert island discs, and and I subsequently put it into the daily reset as one of the nudges. And I've done it myself as a time machine, right? You know, those songs that represent your life. I'm going to ask you for one song, Stephen, one song that means something to you and why. Just just briefly, and then we'll play that on the way out. What one is it? So I'm going to choose uh, Vincent by uh, Don McLean. And I like it because it's it almost like it creates the you know starry starry sky. You see it in in that you feel the the melancholy of Vincent. You feel his uh, humanness as well and uh, his creativity and uh, what he wants to do, you know, and uh, in the world. 
and and so this uh, song to me he's like uh, almost like an archetype a perennial character that's why he's so beloved you know it's misunderstood i think he had a tragic end but there was something about his his uh, pro- pro- uh, productivity prolificity or just this uh, desire to live his uh, his message and desire to create his work that uh, even though he was he didn't you know earn during his lifetime but that wasn't his uh, main concern it was to do his work and i think that's uh, and it still touches us we can see that in his uh, vibrant colors and in his in his spiral style um, many years later there's a the book uh, i think it's called lust for life I recommend uh, listeners to to read, and uh, it just gives. It's almost like it's told of his life in his own type of words and beautifully uh, written. But yes, that's the song, and uh, I can say Don McLean for that's probably my teenage years with yeah. American Pie and uh, yes, I remember the album. But brilliant song that, uh, and I think Vincent is a good uh, model for for connecting with our and producing something uh, giving our lives to to our work fantastic well thanks for joining uh, the podcast today Stephen and uh, wishing you well in the future thank you very much starry starry night paint your palette blue and grey look out on a summer's day with eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills 